Well, Logan, everyone, welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 143. Our guest is Hockey Hall of Fame writer uh, Kevin Allen. I hope everyone is staying safe and everyone is healthy. And uh, just keep social distancing. And uh, before you know it, things will get back to whatever the new normal will be. Uh, as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall. It's always good to kind of kick back and relax with a nice ice-cold Labatt Blue. But remember, please drink our premium beer responsibly. And with that said, let's bring in uh, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame writer Kevin uh, Allen. As a matter of fact, Kevin's no stranger to this show, although it's been quite a while since he's been on. A lot of things have happened to him professionally, and, uh, and we'll bring Kevin in. And uh, there's so many things going on right now, but uh, uh, let's uh, let's say hello to our guest, Kevin Allen. Hey, Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great. I love your positive intro. That I hope indeed that everyone is being safe and practicing social distancing. And uh, you know, we all watch television and can see that it's having an impact. And I know I'm. Uh, sheltering in place in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and uh, doing my best to uh, stay out of harm's way. I hope everyone's doing the same. Well, you know, every time I I see one of your posts on uh, 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 social media, either you're having another grandchild or or one of your children is getting married or whatever. I mean, your brood is, uh, is just expanding by leaps and bounds, it seems like. Yeah, I, I've added patriarch to uh, my list of uh, you know titles. Uh, you know it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I have uh, one of my daughters uh, is marrying a, a southern gentleman, uh, uh, a guy that actually runs a children's theater in Spartanburg, North Carolina, and uh, he had called. You know, it's so interesting uh, because you know I live obviously in the Midwest, but down south it's still the tradition to. I don't know if, if you would call it asking. Uh, uh, the parents for the hands in marriage. It's not like that, but it's part of the Southern tradition, and he's a real Southern uh, guy, to uh, to call and uh, at least notify the parents that you're going to ask the, you know, their daughter uh, to, to marry you, and uh, he did, and I was actually at uh, Disney World with my, uh, another, with my son and his wife and their kids, uh, and my wife was, uh, and he said, I'm going to uh, ask her on a Saturday night, which would have been our fourth day at Disney, and then I'm holding a little party, and so we, uh, we, my wife and I, rented a car and drove uh, to where they live in Spartanburg, uh, South Carolina, and uh, we were able to get there in time for the sort of engagement party. So it was uh, that was the last sort of normal thing actually that I've been able to do because right after that, uh, this. Uh, pandemic hit and we've been sheltering ever since meanwhile my daughter is going to plan a wedding while this is going on so i don't think it's going to be happening anytime in the in the next couple of months that's for sure you know kevin i always tell people that i'm in along with you we're part of the first generation that has had television our whole lives that I can always remember TV, and if you look at just certain moments in history, Man on the Moon, uh, you know, uh, the Lions making it to the NFC Championship game. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. But, I mean, (laughs) we've been through, uh, you know, a lot of different really historical moments. Um, I never in my wildest imagination would have ever dreamed something like a pandemic like this would just put society in its tracks. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and um, you know, and it's and it really is uh, kind of happened the way that we've seen it happened in the movies. Um, you know, we I think a lot of us saw the movie Contag- Contagion, and right. uh, you know, where it, it's just a matter of uh, you know contact one person with another, and then it grows exponentially, and uh, you know, uh, you know, the, coming over from a foreign country and then spreading and. You know, it's just kind of uh, the worst case scenario, and everybody just has had to sort of work to figure out how to, you know, contain it. And uh, you know, it's it's definitely had an impact. I, I think what this has shown us, uh, uh, particularly you and I, I, and I think we probably knew this, but it brings it home is how much we all love sports. Like what's right. made this yes. difficult uh, is is not only like if can you imagine if we had been sheltering in place, but we had sports to watch. 
uh, it would have been a lot better, a lot easier. But we don't. You know, our, you know, I think most of us uh, who are sports fans get up in the morning, we check the scores, and you know, even though I've been involved in hockey for uh, the better part of four decades, you know, I, I'm a baseball fan. I check the baseball scores, and during Wimbledon, my wife's a big tennis fan, so I pay attention. I know just enough about golf uh, to be dangerous, and you know, whatever's on, I can you know, sort of pay attention to. And now we have nothing. Like, it's so uh, bad for me as a sports fan that I have totally embraced the PBA Tour on, on reruns on Fox. And the reason I do that is, is and I th- I'm, I'm assuming the same would be true of you. First of all, as an older person, I remember when bowling was big. Oh, yeah. You know, I, watched, I watched it with my grandmother, you know, Chris Schenkel on Saturday. Right. The PBA well, Tour. Chris so Schenkel was great. Yeah, and it was a it was a highly rated ranked show. Um, it got good ratings. Uh, it was one of the uh, the better ratings for ABC. Well, so I remember that. So there's a nostalgic feel to it. But more importantly, I don't know what has happened. Like they're showing me tournaments that's happened, you know, uh, two or three or four months ago, and I don't know what happened because you know they don't report. <laughs> on what has happened. So I'm watching the Oklahoma Open that may have happened for, you know, three or four months ago, for all I know. I don't know when it happened, but I don't know what happened. So I can watch it as if it's live, and it is competition. So that, that's that been my only source of sports entertainment is is that I have, I have watched five different um, tournaments uh, all in reruns uh, on the PBA Tour, and that's sort of helped me. Uh, you know, get give me a little fix, a little taste uh, of sports. Yeah, I, I'm. I like watching. For me, what I've noticed is is that I'm not a big one to watch reruns of games that I already know the outcome of, especially right. games that I've covered. It's not that I don't appreciate the the game or the players or, or what they were able to accomplish, but I, I just for some reason. Uh, because I am such a huge sports fan like yourself, I have always liked the spontaneity of live sporting events. You really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the the wheel is invented virtually every game at times. It seems like, but uh, but I know I'm right there with you. You know, I'm I'm reading books. You know, I even binged on that Tiger King show that uh, is very bizarre. But uh, uh, but, but I, I know what you mean. But I'm glad that it sounds like everybody on uh, you and yours and, you know, Terry and the whole crew are, are, are doing well, and, and, and that's just great to hear. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of always an awkward transition when you're talking something as, you know, as obviously as serious uh, as the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, what do you think is going to happen to this league? I, I can't see the longer it goes on, as much as I would like hockey and all sports to come back and just pick up where we left off, I'm not sure that that's going to happen for several months. I, I don't think it's just going to happen like in June, boom, before you know it, here, here the, you know, the NHL is back. Well, I wrote a column on Sunday that appeared on HockeyBuzz.com that um, uh, I've gotten quite a bit of response to, and and what I wrote is, is I, I think this is going to be, cause a difficulty for the NHL for two seasons, really for all sports. Because, you know, my question to everyone is, is, you know, how willing, even if they say it's all clear that, you know, the chances of, of, of uh, contracting the, this virus is, is down to a, an acceptable range, but how willing are we going to be to slide into a church pew or to go to a movie theater and sit next to someone? Um, how willing are we going to be to go to a ball game and where you're, you know, sort of crammed in in, in tight spaces or to a, a hockey game and arena? I, I think we're all going to be reluctant. I think all the same people that went to the beach in Florida when all this was going on, they may show up, but I think the rest of us will have trouble. So I think, you know, that we're going to be playing, even if they're accepting people in arenas, I think people are going to be reluctant to go for until we have a vaccine. So I think, you know, when it comes back, I think it's going to be a slow build. It's not going to be like after the lockout when everybody filled the arenas and we're excited to have it back. We're going to be excited to have sports back. But I think a lot of us are going to say, you know, I'm going to watch it on TV for a while uh, just to see, you know, how it's going, particularly older people. I think we're going to happen. Plus, the second element is so many people are out of work. 
Ticket right. prices in the NHL are very high. Um, a lot of people are not going to have the money to go to the games. So I, I think it's going to play havoc with the NHL salary cap. Um, you know, if we can't finish the regular season, we're looking at a loss of over a billion dollars, and that's for both players and owners splitting 50-50. I think it's really going to cause problems for the salary cap. And then next season, we may be dealing with this again because of the loss of, of uh, you know, fan the fan base for a while. And it's temporary. I think everybody knows eventually everyone will be back. But I think it could take a while. So uh, I, I look for them to be... You know, this summer, at some point, I, I think they're committed to trying to get some sort of playoff running. I just can't see them having a regular season because I think we're going to need, at a minimum, and I don't know if this will be enough, a two-week training camp because players can't work out. There's nowhere to go to work out. So it's like the old days when you had to come into training camp to get yourself in shape. We might even have to play an exhibition game or two. So it could be two to three weeks and then maybe we'll, we'll have, you know, something that resembles the regular playoffs and, you know, we'll either roll back to, you know, where everyone was at 68 games or we'll do a percentage of where you, of points you've gained where you're at. And I just read on TSN that that leads to the same teams being in the playoffs, whether you roll back to 68 games or to a percentage, but the, the mashups are a little different. Um, if you do it that way. So I, I, I think there's a, a now I don't know, I don't know if it's 50-50, but uh, maybe a 40% chance that we'll have some sort of uh, playoff. But I can't imagine that we're going to have any kind of uh, regular season. Yeah, yeah. I You know, as much as I'd like to see, believe it or not, the Red Wings to come back and play these 11 games, and, and, and I think, quite frankly, the players themselves probably want to come back and play. But the longer it goes on, I would see that they're going to have to almost postpone or cancel the rest of the regular season and try to go into some playoff format because obviously the most important thing and I mean for the most important thing is everyone's healthy let's be honest about that I mean right. everyone's safe and healthy uh, you know the NHL is going to be taking any kind of unnecessary risks here or anything with uh, with their with their players health and, and their fans health but uh, would be some sort of playoff format and to award the Stanley Cup um, do you think then eventually they'll have an award uh, I would imagine that uh, again, and I'm just pure speculating here, but you know, Kevin is obviously in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's covered this league, as he said, almost four decades now. Uh, that uh, that it's going to be kind of a virtual draft, like what the NFL is about to go to. I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I would think that the latest, like I think they're still open to the possibility that we might have to have a uh, Stanley Cup tournament in you know, August and September, and then maybe a draft in uh, October, and then, you know, sort of some free agency mixed in with that, and then, you know, restarting the season next season in November, which wouldn't be a bad thing because, you know, some teams have trouble drawing anyway uh, in uh, October. It usually takes till November until everybody sort of finds, finds their paces or even later. So I think they could start next season as late as November. Um, so that gives them some leeway to get in a, uh, a playoff. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we got to conduct business. Like, I know the NFL's taking a little bit of criticism, uh, although I think most fans are happy that there is something to talk about, which is right. the NFL, you know, draft. But taking some criticism for doing sort of their business while this is going on. But, um, you know, I think they're doing it as safely as possible. But you do have to prepare as if you're going to play next year. And that requires, you know, free agency and a draft. So the NHL is going to have to do that at some point. Um, and it's going to require, obviously, you know, what's interesting that doesn't come up very often is contracts expire and, be, and players become free agents on July 1. So, you know, we're going to be playing the playoffs after their contracts on some players um, are over. So there's going to have to be an agreement. Now, it does say in the contract that um, you have to play um, for a team in the playoffs. So, you know, it, it sort of is in there. But I think there'll be an agreement with the Players Association, the league, to sort of kind of spell that out of how that will work. Right. What a difficult situation. Let's say somebody signs a free agent contract with, uh, with uh, let's say for, you know, it's the Red and White Authority. Let's say with the Red Wings, 
Uh, you know, a nice, decent amount, you know, two-year contract, whatever, you know, for, you know, $3 million a season. And then this player has a just an unbelievable playoff run. And, you know, he probably could have gotten more if he would have waited. I mean, this is a difficult decision and has a profound impact on virtually everybody that's involved in, in not only life, but in the league. Yeah, well... And it's not unthinkable that the Red Wings will attempt to sign a free agent. Like, I think there'll be some goaltenders. Uh, I think there's actually going to be a decent market for goaltenders. And I think the Red Wings, you know, are going to look for a goalie. I think they're going to want a veteran goalie. Oh, no Um, doubt. I agree with that. So, you know, uh, it'll happen. That's why I think there'll be, uh, you know, we'll hear pretty soon that there's going to be an agreement in place that says, okay, the free agent signing period will start at X down the road a little bit because they can't have that sort of you know scenario uh, happening. So the logistics of all this, like I mean, you were right on. You hit the nail on the head when you said that you know first and foremost we want to have everyone safe. And to be honest, you know before they do anything in playoffs, there'll have to be a system of testing sort of established and try to figure out making sure everybody you know uh, because you know that we know from the way that the flu sweeps through both the NHL and the NBA every winter, we know that the, the competition and the use of dressing rooms, which, um, you know, it's like a giant Petri dish if you're right, in a right. sports right. dressing room. Um, we know that's just perfect uh, for the spread of the flu. And we're guessing because we've had players um, that have tested positive uh, for the virus, the COVID-19, that, uh, you know, for that virus as well. So they're going to have to be, um, sure that everybody um, is virus free and we're starting with a clean slate and then you know decisions are going to have to be made and we're going to have to test players periodically what happens if someone tests do we immediately shut down like like this is not going to be an easy transition into playing again. There's a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made. Right. I mean, I was just thinking as you were speaking that somebody like me who covers the team and, you know, on occasion, um, if my colleague Dana Wakiji is not on the road trip, I would be. Uh, we're probably going to have to get tested to make sure that we don't have it or, you know, can yeah. carry it or anything. I think everybody that is involved is going to have to go through some sort of process to get some sort of clearance, unless, of course, and you, you hit it right on the head, uh, when we when we get back to the new normal, as I like to say, will be when they find a vaccine and, you know, we're lined up by the thousands getting it, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think then, you know, the things will really calm down and we'll, you know, we'll get back to where, where we used to be. Um, uh, Kevin, um, I, I want to get into it and, and let fans know. I know that after uh, 34 years at USA Today, um, you were uh, uh, you were relieved of your duties, as like I like yeah, to I say. Yeah. Uh, I, hey, I yeah. was relieved of my duties in radio six days before Christmas. It's sometimes it's just an unforgiving business, but uh, but 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 anyway, uh, 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 you're now a, a, a freelancer. How is that working out? I mean, I know that you know you're you're one of my best friends. So I mean, talking to you over the years, I mean, your passion and your love for the game and being in the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, is just pretty much pretty much states exactly uh, what you have meant to this game over the years but uh, how has that transition been well I mean I you know it was a, a bit shocking when it happened but you know I'm not the first guy this has happened to and there was a merger of uh, you know Gannett and another company and when the smoke cleared they had to reduce um, payroll and uh, I was one of the casualties of that and you know I could have chosen to be bitter about it but um, you know, I was very proud for all those years to be a writer and the national writer for USA Today. I wasn't going to change that just because uh, they decided that I was expendable. So I refused to uh, uh, to feel that way. And, um, you know, I, I departed with my head held high and I thought, well, hopefully I'll find something. I didn't find anything uh, right away, but I have been able to freelance a little bit. I'm staying in the game. You know, I have a place that I can put out a, a column or two, and I've done some things. I uh, have, I'm in discussions now with the possibility of, uh, uh, of having a full-time job, but, you know, that all went on hold uh, when this hit. So, I, you know, I feel good about it. I think you'll see me writing for sure next year in some, uh, um, 
you know, place. I'm doing a podcast with Tom Laidlaw, the former player. I'm right. doing another one with Bob Duff uh, as well. And uh, there's been a discussion. We're in discussion as well to do a podcast with um, uh, Frank Brown, uh, who's also uh, a uh, uh, in the writer's uh, wing of the Hall of Fame. Uh, he used to be work in New York as a hockey writer and then worked for the league for many years. And, and we think Mike Emmerich may also uh, join us as well. So um, if that comes to fruition, you know, that will keep me busy. I'll have a, a lot to do. So, I, you know, I'm still out there. I'm still doing my thing. If you follow by Kevin Allen on Twitter, you will see that I'm uh, still pretty active and still writing. I was the past week i wrote the column that i talked about i also did a q a with trevor zegris the former u.s national team development program star who signed with anaheim i did a piece on the impact that uh, uh, alex turcott will have on the los angeles kings and uh, tomorrow i'm writing a piece about uh, what's going to happen at the top of the NHL draft, uh, how I view each of the top five prospects and uh, even discussing uh, you know, what uh, the Red Wings may do depending on where they end up after the draft lottery. Well, that sounds great. And I know that for years Kevin and I have kicked out. Uh, uh, the original Red and White Authority was Kevin Allen and I. It was just a podcast we started. Once I uh, worked for the Red Wings, Kevin was gracious enough to allow me to continue doing the podcast for the Red Wings and, and and taking the name the Red and White Authority, but uh, we've kicked around an idea. I'm not going to tell everybody what it is, but hopefully, uh, uh, who knows, Kevin, you might be working more than you did when uh, when you were writing for USA Today. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, no, I, I, I like the podcast. Uh, um, you know, I have a new vehicle, um, a way of getting information out. I really enjoy doing the, the podcast, and, uh, you know, and every podcast I've had, we, we, we grow in terms of uh, um, listenership, so um, I'm hopeful that that will lead to them. Uh, uh, the hardest thing is, and uh, you actually have a good sponsor, uh, is finding a sponsor for those podcasts. Right, yeah, well, Labatt Blue has been very good to us, and we're really appreciative of Labatt Blue, and uh, I can say that over the years I have sampled the product, and uh, I like yeah, it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, you know, let's, let's get into a little bit about... Uh, uh, you know, let's go. Let's get into the Red Wings and this upcoming draft because I know you're really working on that. Uh, I know that Central Scouting came out with their final rankings. We're doing this on uh, April 9th, which is Thursday. Uh, we're we're uh, doing the podcast and uh, uh, with their with their uh, final rankings and you know European skaters, North American skaters, North American goalies, European goalies, and uh, some intriguing names uh, up here. But before we get in specifically about this draft. Uh, I, I want to ask you, there's some really high-end talent. Uh, you know, most people have said that they believe, or most of the uh, prognosticators and draft gurus, that at least three or four of these young men could have an impact on their NHL club next year. Uh, yet, with no one playing hockey... I, I'm not sure that that can happen, even though they're all kind of in the same boat, including NHL players, that a young man might be able to make that transition because of, because of this pandemic. I don't know if you feel that way or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're going to have to take a wait and see because, you know, the, their training is not going to be the same. Like, I, I think the, uh, the offseason – between uh, their uh, before the draft year uh, is just so important for these top players because you know what they're always lacking. We know is is physical strength, and a lot of them really commit in that off season before. Uh, right when they sign pro to you know getting a little bit stronger, it's not enough. But they you know that's when they start to you know really sort of understand what's required. They get that you know, letter from uh, the team that says this is what we expect you right. to do, and they go, whoa, uh, here we go. And um, so that, you know, they're going to lose that. So, you know, who knows? But I, I got to believe that Lafreniere uh, is, uh, you know, going to be able to uh, play next season. Uh, the, you know, my only uh, concern also would be, you know, let's remember, like, how 
talented Jack Hughes is. And remember that, you know, it wasn't like he dominated. So I think if you even if you bring the, these players up, you got to remember that, um, you know, it takes time. They're still young. They're still not ready. It's not like the NFL when you can expect uh, players to come in and, you know, perform and, uh, um, you know, those NFL players uh, that are drafted in the first round, they're, they're older and these are 18-year-old players. So I think uh, probably two or three of these players, at least two, um, you know, will probably play on NHL teams. Um, but, I, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to um, make an immediate impact, I, I, I think it seems doubtful to me, to be honest with you. Let's, uh, let, let's look at the Red Wings this year. Obviously, uh, you know, Steve Eiserman, when he had the job uh, uh, almost a year now, on April 19th, number 19 came back to Detroit in, 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 the, in the 2019, as a matter of fact, as I said, almost a year. But uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he preached patience. I mean, I think Steve has been pretty upfront. He has made some moves over the season. Uh, how do you think uh, the first year under Steve Eiserman has gone, which I think we all knew would be pretty much a wash because he had to kind of see what he had in the organization first and then try to, uh, you know, tinker with with his own, um, you know, field of generals, shall we say, people to work for him. So uh, uh, your assessment thus far of of the Red Wings under Steve? Well, I I think it went the way that I thought it was going to go. Like, I I felt that... uh um, Iserman knew exactly what he wanted to do with this season, which is to give the younger players an opportunity to see where they were at. I think he felt like he was going to try to add a couple of kind of younger pieces or, or people that fit within um, the rebuilding that he was trying to do. And I, I think there were some good things. I think, you know, they saw that uh, Bertuzzi, um, it, it you know is going to be the contributor that he showed uh, the season before that um, you know he's going to be a, a real important player in this rebuilding. I I think um, um, you know they brought up uh, or, or they gave Philip Peronic a chance to um, to to really be a uh, a difference maker on defense, and he rose up and performed at a very high level. I think he was one of their better players. I think he showed he's going to be more than an offensive player. That you know he's a guy that can you can play in in all those different situations. Uh, you know the trade that he made for Fabre. Um, you know I think that's really going to help. I think he's a guy that can play in the top six. Uh, and uh, I think that's going to help uh, as well. And the fact they brought up Gustav Lindstrom late, and he kind of showed that he's going to be able to play. And now all of a sudden with, uh, uh, you know, Sater, uh, you know, back there as well, and now you, you've got Horonic, you at least have the start, and now Lindstrom of a, of a decent young defenseman. they got McIsaac as well. So I, I bet... Uh, if you sat Eiserman down and uh, he, he would say that this season went exactly the way he thought it would, and to be honest, I don't think he's the least bit disappointed to see his team in last place and for his team to have the best shot uh, at the lottery because, you know, this team is still short on difference makers. Like, you know, they have some good prospects, but you know, they don't have a lot of guys that are, are – uh, you know, thought of around the league as, you know, top-notch young players. They're, you know, good young players, but not great young players. So I think he wanted to get another one of those guys, and I think he'll get one of those players, you know, in this draft. Yeah, it's interesting because as uh, as competitive as he is, uh, and really wants to win, and is he's as focused as any athlete I've ever met or covered. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you know he, but he's a realist. He knows exactly what this situation is, and I think because he's here in Detroit and what he means to this, not only this team but this uh, greater uh, Southeast Michigan area and the Red Wing fans everywhere. I think they're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. If you don't give Steve Eiserman the benefit of the doubt, then you're not going to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. And I, I, I think that uh, he's been really upfront. And I am eager to see what he does uh, uh, in this upcoming draft. I know that he has gone to Europe quite often. And I know when they had Mo Sider uh, uh, last year, 
um, that people were shocked by that pick. But again, if you follow this, Mo Sider was consistently moving up month in and month out in these draft rankings. So he was not that far down from being rated number six overall, if you will. Obviously, it looks like that uh, if he keeps progressing, that was a good pick. But uh, where do you th- do you think that uh, Alexis uh, Lafreniere is? Uh, are they going to get the number one pick, or is Ottawa going to get number one and number two, and the Red Wings are going to be, lo and behold, number four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's difficult to to kind of know. I mean, I, I saw that again. TSN uh, ran a simulation, and the Red Wings finished first and took Lafreniere. Uh, and uh, I think that's what they would do. I, you know, for as um, you know, Iserman is uh, really confident in his own um, analysis and evaluation of players. And because of that, you're always, when you're projecting what he's going to do, um, there's some uncertainty. But when I looked at the top of this draft, I've talked to people around the league, I I think the top four players are the top four players. And uh, for that reason, I I think the Red Wings would would probably pick them in the order that... um, I mean, you can never know for sure with Eisenman. So I, I think if they ended up, uh, uh, you know, number one, they'd take Lafreniere, and then I think it was number two, they would take Byfield because I think, you know, they really want to get another center, and he's a six foot four guy that, you know, could be somewhere between Sean Couturier uh, or uh, Evgeny Malkin. Wow. So that's a pretty good range uh, to be in, and I just don't think they would pass him up. And I know they really love. Uh, Joe Valeno, um, but you know, will he score? Like, I think he's going to be one of those players that can play many different roles, but I don't know if he's going to be an unbelievable scorer. So, I don't think they'd pass on the center. And then, uh, you know, down in three, there's you know, Drysdale, who I've been that's the guy that I wondered about, and I've asked uh, uh, people around the league, and they all say the same thing about him. He's a, a top pairing defenseman, and uh, because of that. Um, I just don't see the Red Wings would pass on him either. So, and that gets them down to four, and that's Stutzel, and I think they would take him. You know, he can skate. Um, you know, he's been a player that's uh, uh, performed well in the German league, and uh, you know, for those that reason, I think if they were at four and those three players were gone, they would take him. Uh, when you look at it that way, it uh, uh, you know I, I, I would assume because the team obviously where they're at in the standings needs help everywhere, uh, and as much as I think Yaroslav Askarov. Uh, who is the Russian goalie who was just incredible last year in that U18 tournament, kind of had a a coming-out party, has played with men. Uh, As I said, the Russian goalie, good size and all that, considered to be the best goalie in the draft since Carey Price. Yet, where the Red Wings are drafting, I can't see them going, and let's just say number four, I, I, I don't see them picking a goalie that high. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I've asked that question around the league as well. And, I, you know, look, the people I'm asking are just like us. They're just guessing because they don't know. You know, they're not inside the the Red Wings war room. And um, they know that Eisenman thinks a little bit out of the box. But one thing we do know is is that he was so high on Vasilevsky uh, in Tampa. And he took him with the pick that he, he got from the uh, Red Wings. That's um, right. And, and he said right after that happened, that he thought Vasilevsky was going to be uh, one of the best goalies in the league in a very short time. And he was certainly right about that. So I think people look at that and think, well, he might take the goalie. But uh, what I think people around the league are telling me is is that, you know, if Eisenman was seventh he, or, or, you know, uh, or eighth or sixth, he might take the goalie because some people see him as anywhere after ten. So, but you know, not at not at, in the top four. Uh, they just don't see him uh, doing that, and I think that's probably true. Even though they need a goalie, and the other factor that I think we have to consider is this is going to be a good summer for goalies. Um, you know, there's going to be some interesting names out there. You know, hope he could be out there. Um, Robin Leonard could be out there. Uh, uh, you know, there, there, there's going to be several names out there that the Red Wings, you know, could be able to sign and have, um, you know, quality goaltending. 
Right, well, without question. And just to get back to uh, uh, Vasilevsky uh, here really quickly, Andre Vasilevsky, uh, he was taken with a pick that uh, Tampa got for... Uh, uh, for Now I can't remember the defenseman's name. He, uh, I, yeah, Kyle Quincy in, in the 2012 draft. And he was drafted 19th overall, Vasilevsky. So all you 19 conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, Steve coming on the 19th of, uh, uh, of April last year in 2019. And so, you know, 19 is a number I think that's always going to haunt that poor guy no matter what. But uh, uh, with that said, when you look at it, uh, they've really loaded up on draft picks. And this is a, a, a deep draft as you said so uh he's following his plan he being steve eiserman of of acquiring draft picks and hitting on as many as possible and so uh, uh kevin when do you think or do you agree and i asked steve this question although i know he bristles at it uh is that you know it's not really going to and nothing against anthony mantha or dylan larkin or or players of that ilk that un until they get that difference maker, it's really not going to turn around. Well, um, I mean, I think they're headed in the right direction. Like, I think all of those, I mean, you look at Bertuzzi and Mantha and Larkin, you know, that's a nice line. You know, that's a line that um, can, can play at the NHL level and be very successful. But, you know, it falls off pretty quickly on that. So, you know, if you can't get a bunch of stars, I mean, it's hard to, you know, only the Penguins have Crosby and Malkin. So it's hard right. to get those kind of players. But, um, you know, I, I think if you, um, you know, Cider comes in and can play at a high level and Hironic continues to, um, you know, uh, move ahead and let's just say they end up with, with uh, you know, Byfield and he's a, uh, slots into that number two, and then Milano comes up, and he's going to be a good hockey player. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, where he's going to play and what his role is going to be. Uh, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, so sometimes you can, uh, you know, win a Stanley Cup without a dominant player. I mean, like uh, last season, let's let's look at the uh, St. Louis Blues who were in last place in January. Like, there's a lot of, I, I, you know, uh, other than Tarasenko, who I didn't think was their best player in the playoffs. Right. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't call all of their players superstars. Like, you know, they have a lot of good players, um, and um, uh, and yet they won the cup. So, you know, you can win it without having. Uh, you know, three or four difference makers, as long as you have a lot of, of, of good, very good players. And I think, you know, that's where the Red Wings are hoping they're headed, and then they can pick up a difference maker. And to be honest with you, if they turn the corner um, and start to look like they're heading in the right direction, you know, they'll be a big player again in the free agent world uh, because I think uh, players will want to come and play in this. A very nice uh, little Caesars Arena, and uh, to play for Steve Eiserman. Uh I think it, suddenly it'll be a plus again. But right now, it's not. Right. Well, do you think that uh, as this um, as this plays out and it becomes more of an a, a attractive place to play, um, do you think that uh, that it could turn around quickly, or are we looking at something? that maybe is still two or three years down the road. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs. This will be the fourth year in a row. I think everybody knew that eventually uh, everybody has to bottom out. I mean, that's the way professional sports is, the way that, that the leagues are, are, are set up as far as lotteries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, I, but I'm kind of uh, interested to see that it's such an unknown. I mean, if they hit on a player or two, it could turn around quickly. But if they don't, it could be much longer. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be right in the middle on that. Like, I don't think they're going to turn it around next year. I don't think they're, you know, close to that. Um, but I, I do think that in two seasons, like, they could compete for a playoff spot. Um, I, you know, a lot of things have to happen. I think, um, you know, one thing, Mantis got to stay healthy. Right. Um, you know, like, he, he's a, a, a their important scorer. I think Dylan Larkin, he'd be the first. Like, I think he's going to be a great leader. I think he's a Jonathan Taves type type leader. And I think uh, he sets the pace and he works hard and everybody knows that. 
but you know because he's still younger even though he's been around for a while you know he doesn't have that uh, uh, level of consistency that I think you have to have uh, in order to be successful well, he, he's just going to get better and better all the time because you know he's a top flight player and he's just you know, now he's figured out how to utilize the speed, and he knows what's required. So he's going to get better. I think Bertuzzi is what he is, and um, I think he's a very valuable asset. But, you know, they got to build beyond. Like, you know, it just felt like the Red Wings were a one-line team last year, and, uh, you know, plus Heronic on the back end. And, you know, next year, you know, you're assuming Valeno will be up here, Rasmussen will get his shot. Uh, to come up here and play, and you're going to have some players that are headed uh, and will help to turn this team in the right direction. And um, but it just, it just won't be enough. But two years from now, you know, if everything goes well, if Mantha does stay healthy and Rasmussen turns out to be kind of a Jordan Stall type player, um, and uh, you know, Valeno takes a um, a step up in his development as well, and he scores more than everyone thinks. You know, all those factors could um, lead to the Red Wings being in, you know, a, a playoff team. Uh, one player we haven't mentioned, and I think that maybe even some within the organization, and again, pure speculation on my part, might have changed their tune because of the way that he has handled himself since he's been drafted by the Red Wings. Came in with a lot of fanfare, sixth overall. Uh, he, uh, you know, he he told Ottawa and Montreal they would pay for not drafting him. Uh, the famous, you know, I will fill your uh, uh, net with pucks. Uh, but Philip Zadina, I think, is starting to show. So, uh, number one, his shot is just incredible. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, but uh, but again, I think that you know Philip Zadina uh, might uh, be beginning to uh, grow into the hype, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, I think what the Red Wings like about him is is that he doesn't expect this to just happen for him. Like he he wants to be better, and he's willing to work at it. And I think that's the key, and that's why I think. Um, you know, they've, they've been a little more patient with him because they, they sort of get it that, you know, that he, he is just trying to figure it out. And he, he does, you know, he wants to be the best. And, you know, when you see that drive in a person, you know, when they care, I, I think that's what you want to see. And I think they see that with him. Um, like he, he still could have it. He could still be, you know, uh, a guy that could, you know, score 25 goals. You know, in a season, you know, he has that uh, goal scorer's shot. Um, so that's, you know, but now he's got to do it on a regular basis and, you know, some consistency. And like I mentioned before, um, you know, what, the same is true of all these uh, younger players. Like, I think it was a big plus for, uh, for uh, Lindstrom, right. uh, not Lindstrom, Lindstrom to come up <laughs> late in the season and play. Um, those uh, games and for everybody to say, hey, look, look, he can plug in. Like, uh, you know, he's not a star player, but he's a player that, you know, it might be able to play for a long time and be very effective, and I think you need those guys. Right, there's no doubt Gus Lindstrom really had showed a lot, and I, and I can remember talking to Sean Horkoff, the Red Wings director of player personnel, that, you know, he turned pro this year or played in North America for the first time. He had already been a pro in Sweden, uh, but, uh, and, you know, his numbers, offensively his numbers weren't there, and I know that Gus wants to put up some numbers, and I said, well, you know, I guess a little disappointing offensively, and Horkoff just glowed about it. I mean, this was at the beginning of the year, I don't know, maybe late October, early November. And when he came up, he certainly did not look out of place. He's been a pleasant surprise. Another player, and he's one of my favorites, I can't say that he isn't, that I thought showed uh, that he is definitely uh, has a spot um, in the NHL and can play was Giovanni Smith, who's also very young, but protects the puck well, goes to the net, understands his role. So uh, you can see, as you just said, I and, and you know, maybe I'm eternally optimistic. You know, I mean, I've been a Red Wing fan my whole life. I love this team. I, I, I really do. But uh, that, you know, there are some pieces here that could make this a very, very competitive hockey team in a relatively short period of time. Not as short as maybe fans would like, but it is – starting to turn the corner a bit well for sure and you know if you know any older red wing fans if they can think back to the late 1980s when uh-huh. um you know the red wings had um tough players who could also play the game 
Um, well, that's Giovanni Smith. Like, you know, he's right. at, at the minor league level in particular, he was a very intimidating physical force, plus he could play. Um, and, uh, you know, he can put up some numbers and, you know, be, uh, you know, effective on the offense and go to the net uh, um, and uh, be, uh, you know, the guy in front on the power play and such. So um, I think there's a lot of potential for him, and he's one of those guys that, you know, if he he's another guy that probably needs to take a uh, step in his development if the Red Wings want to in two years be, you know, in contention for a playoff spot. Well, you know, it's it's one of my favorite quotes all year when they played the the L.A. Kings were in town and uh, Giovanni was up at that time playing with the Wings and uh, Drew Dowdy, whom I love as a player, Drew Dowdy's one of my favorite players, and uh, but you know. He, he, Giovanni kind of got into his head, and Drew Doughty was spending a lot of the game almost enjoying himself. I mean, you know, like jawing with him and laughing, you know, and shaking his head and, you know, pushing around. And I remember Jeff Blaschel saying, if, if Drew Doughty is really concerned about Giovanni Smith, that Giovanni's doing his job, trust me, you know. And, and, that's, and, sure. and that's the type of player that he is. I mean, he, he definitely is a little, has a little bit of sandpaper and is a little bit of an agitator. Kevin, I know that, uh, uh, you know, we, we've kept it for a while here, and uh, I, I want to wrap it up, but uh, uh, but but overall, uh, I know we've really covered everything that we're going on, but, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you and your family are, are, are you know, social distancing and are, everyone's healthy and everyone is safe, uh, which is the main point right now, and I wish that to our entire audience and and virtually everybody, all of humanity. I know I'm, I, I might be melodramatic here, but with that said, looking at it, how important is it to eventually somehow figure out a way, whether it's empty stadiums or something, to get the NHL competitive professional live sports or even college sports, just sports in general, back into our lives? Well, I think it's very important. I mean, I, I think we need, uh, you know, the you know, the sports is a, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, what we need uh, to relieve kind of the tension of everyday life. Uh, for, you know, not not for everybody, but for for a lot of people. You know, we use that. Uh, you know, we work hard at our jobs, we do our thing, and we like to come home and uh, you know be entertained. And uh, um, it's nice to have it there when we want it to relax. Uh, and um, you know, so, you know, it, it sometimes makes us frustrated, but I think it's a, it allows us to blow off steam. Maybe we're not uh, happy with the way that uh, our workday went when we get home and we can watch the Red Wings or the Tigers or the Pistons or whatever, you know, we're into. And um, so I, I think, you know, everybody's going to be thrilled. That's what I tell everyone. It's not like there's not going to be enthusiasm uh, for sports when it comes back. It, it's going to be overwhelming. Like, we're going to be thrilled by it. But, you know, it just may not, uh, our fandom may not present itself in the same way that it did uh, before uh, the pandemic, because we got to get used to the idea that you know sitting next to someone is not going to give us the virus, and so uh, and you know this has been such a surreal experience for all of us, as we said in our in our homes, and you know something like you know Al Kaline passing away. I thought about this. Um, you know, if this had happened before the pandemic. Um, you know, we might have had been able to celebrate his life um, uh, in a more grandiose fashion than we are now because of this virus. And, you know, a lot of us have, you know, written and talked about it, uh, the importance he is to the Tigers. But, um, you know, it, you know, there would have been more. We'd have seen more than we, we've been able to do with uh, all that's going on. So it's, it's too bad because uh, everyone in Detroit knows that, you know, he was uh, the uh, Mr. Tiger of, of all time. Like, there was no greater Tiger in my mind than Al Kaline. And that's saying a lot considering that Ty Cobb uh, uh, and a lot of uh, great players played for this organization. Right, there's no doubt. You know, you were you kind of read my mind because I, I my last question to you was going to be your thoughts on the passing of Al Kaline. I mean, obviously, uh, I can remember uh, 
you know, the 68 Tigers are still my team. Uh, you know, 27 games that they came back from the seventh inning on, and then obviously they, they won the World Series after being down three games to one. But, uh, you know, Al Kaline, I think, just personified uh, just dignity and class and greatness on the field. And, uh, you know, I, I met him out of all the real heavy hitters in Detroit sports over the years that I've had a privilege to cover. Um, I really, by the time I got into this business, Al had already retired. And uh, I can remember, this is my Al Kaline story, and I'm really feeling embarrassed to, uh, to admit this. But since it's you, Kevin, I will tell everyone. Um, his, last, his last game as a Tiger was at Tiger Stadium. And I was part of the newspaper staff, and uh, my my good friend Paul Walsh, who was uh, the feature editor, I was the editor of the the high school newspaper. We were out doing interviewing somebody, and I remember us driving by Tiger Stadium as the game was going on, and Paul and I looked at each other and said, "Hey, today's Kaline's last game. Maybe we should go in there and see it because there was a certain point where you know you were letting free." into the game after like the fourth or fifth inning or whatever and uh uh we looked at each other and we both said nah, no that's all right that's not uh that's cool i mean we've seen al play and he's a great tiger biggest mistake of my life obviously uh to not yeah. see him play his last game i remember with trammell and whitaker's last game i was there for uh just crazy there was another time and you might appreciate this um i used to park cars at chrysler arena for for concerts or direct traffic i didn't actually park cars and elvis presley was playing there and you know, I, I was kind of an Elvis fan. I remember the the old four thirty movie, and they would play Elvis Week and all that kind of stuff. And I always liked Elvis. You know, I thought as a personality and just as a person. And so one of the uh, things is that after we were done parking all the cars or directing traffic at Chrysler, we could or Chrysler Center now we could we could go in and watch the concert. And I can remember. Uh, 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 you know, do, getting done, and I walked into the tunnel area there at Chrysler Arena, and Elvis was like, you know, you know, blue suede shoes or whatever he was doing, you know, but it was definitely him, and the concert was going on. I walked halfway down the tunnel, and I said, you know what, nah, that's all right. I mean, I love Elvis, but no, it was one of the last concerts he ever gave, you know. Wow. And so, yeah, my, my track record is just bad, just completely bad. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, on that positive note, uh, uh, <laughs> You know, really, really, I, and I think if you do look it up, the one of you know one of his final shows. I don't know if it was in was what was actually in Ann Arbor. So uh, uh, it's uh, it's crazy how things work out that way. But anyway, Kevin, I'm glad that you're healthy. I'm glad that you're safe. I really appreciate your time. We'll have you back on, and uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, uh, your big plans for next season, whenever that will begin, and uh, uh, what your uh, what your next chapter will be, because uh, you are somebody that uh, that we need uh, in this game. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, Art. Thank you.